If you have been with us over the last few Sundays, and if you're watching from home for the first time this morning, special welcome to you. And here in church, we have been making our way through what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And today we are coming to Matthew chapter 6 for our scripture reading, as we are reading the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6, at verse 9. And Jesus is, of course, as you know, speaking to several thousand people, and he is teaching them how to pray. And he says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his word. Earlier this week, I was teaching a Bible study class, and I mentioned to them that when I was at seminary a long, long time ago, that we had a teacher who specialized in ecclesiastical history. And he would begin each class with prayer, except on the days we had exams. And when that first happened, it struck students as a little unusual. And when we said to him, Professor Hamilton, why are you not beginning in prayer this morning? As this is the day we need prayer more than any other. And this is what he said. Students at the University of Glasgow are not allowed to solicit external assistance when sitting exams. (laughs) And I thought that was typical of him, that dry sense of humor that was just great. And of course, you and I know this has been a challenging year, to say the least. And this is the very time we need as much external help as we can possibly receive. And so this morning as we come to the Lord's Prayer, and we touched on this last Sunday morning, if you were with us, we touched on the opening words, Our Father. And what we said last Sunday was this. Now, when we pray, prayer is predicated not on performance, in other words, how good we have been, Neither is it predicated on the number of words we use because repetitious, empty, set prayers by rote said multiple times a week can sometimes come across as cold, devoid of content. But scripture teaches at its very heart if we were to define prayer It is based on a relationship, our Father, a Father who's deeply in love with his children, a Father who delights when we come to him in prayer, a Father who lavishes his love upon us, and that's where we were last Sunday morning. And now, this morning, we go to the next level. And Jesus teaches them, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And not only is he teaching them about the structure of prayer, beginning with God, 
He's teaching them about the content of prayer. To think deeply what prayer is. And in fact, we know the word hallowed means holy. Let me ask you, when was the last time you heard that word holy? Did you receive it in a text? Did it come to you in an email? Something you heard on television or in a movie? Something you read in a book? Holy is a word that seems out of step with the grammar of our culture. It's not a word we see that often. But here is Jesus after our Father in heaven reminding us who he is. Not only is he our Father, not only is he ruling in sovereignty in heaven, but he is holy. What does holy mean? Sacred, sacrosanct, unlike any other. Hallowed be, holy is your name. As I was preparing this week and going over that passage and reading and rereading and praying and preparing, I was reminded that when we enter into prayer, It is a sacred moment. It's a moment that is sacrosanct. Like nothing else, we are entering into the presence of Almighty God, who is holy. It's a sacred moment. Prayer is a place where we can spend our time with Him, engaging with our Heavenly Father. And we need to slow down. Now that's hard for so many of us today because we live at a frantic pace. Our lives are often so busy that culture and society around us teaches us this, that worth and value are significant only if you are connected by email and text and Facebook and Instagram and TikTok. That's where value and worth are found today. Not in closing your smartphone and leaving it for a moment or two. Not in closing your laptop or turning off your iPad. Because we're taught that's where value and significance and worth comes from. And Jesus is teaching the very opposite. He's saying value and significance and worth comes from that sacred place of prayer. Where we spend it with him, our father. Holy is his name. And prayer is when we take a deep breath and we rest. In his presence, not distracted, not focused on something else. I'm sure I told you this a couple of years ago. I was speaking to a couple and asking them how their week had been. And they said they had a great week. In fact, they said the night before we went out with three other couples and we had a great night. And I said, well, what was so good about it? And they said, well, it began like this. One of the men in the couple said, 
I would like to suggest we take our cell phones and we put them in the centre of the table and the first person to check their cell phone during the meal pays for everyone else's dinner. Talk about accountability. That's going to hurt, isn't it? Because we're driven to believe that unless we're texting, answering an email, checking Facebook, somehow life is not important and we're of no worth or value because we are not connected to what is, after all, a global playground. But Jesus is saying the opposite. He is saying when you pray, you enter into that sacred place, that moment that is sacrosanct, that moment that is not to be interrupted. And for those of us who live busy, overwhelmed, overscheduled lives, there are times we can no longer tell the difference between the essentials and the non-essentials. And Jesus is saying it is absolutely essential that we make time to spend with our Heavenly Father. Holy is His name. Now let me ask you, if I were to ask you for a couple of minutes and to tell me about an event or an experience in your life that so impacted your life, it changed your life forever. What would that event be? And you might say, well, actually, Richard, I'm a huge sports fan. I love golf. And the first time I went to the Masters Golf Championship, I just was blown away. That will live for me for the rest of my... It was just extraordinary. Someone else might say, I remember when my football college team won the championship. And it just was, a, I remember everything about that day. I remember meeting with friends, tailgating before. I remember the event. I remember the celebrations afterwards. It was absolutely spectacular. I've been a lifelong fan since. It was something. Others of you might say, Richard, the day I proposed, the day I married, the birth of my children, these are events that are right up there. Others of you might say, we moved into a new house recently and that gave us all the room we wanted for our children and it was absolutely spectacular. We are living a different life than we were in the cramped conditions of our old house. It has had such an influence. Well, let me ask you to take it further. In Isaiah chapter 6, there is a well-known passage of Scripture. When Isaiah the prophet encounters God at a level of intensity and immensity, he could not have anticipated it coming and it impacted his life forever. And in Isaiah chapter 6, we read these well-known words. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, 
high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah goes on. And he says, there were seraphs gathered there in huge numbers, and they were bowing and worshipping God, and they were crying out with all of their hearts, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Isaiah was never the same after that encounter with the love and grace of God. Why? What was so significant about that encounter? Simply this, that Isaiah discovered for the first time in his adult life, even as a lover of God, someone who worshipped God, someone who had a relationship with him, it went to a whole new level for Isaiah. And remember what he says, I saw the Lord, sitting on his throne, and his robe filled the temple. And Isaiah is telling us this, that he came face to face with the living God in all of his unrestricted love and grace and glory. He'd never experienced him at that level before. God had pulled back the veil and let Isaiah see him in all of his transcendent majesty and wonder and holiness. That's what was going on. And no wonder the seraphim were bowing in worship and adoration, crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's what was taking place. Unfettered, undiluted access to the glory and wonder of God himself. No wonder Isaiah was never the same again. No wonder. There is only one place in Scripture where the attribute of God is described in a super superlative. I've been hearing super superlatives really as I've been engaging with teenagers and I will ask them how was the game and they will say I was super excited to be at it. And it seems that word and if you've got teens in your family you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. They are saying this was more than excitement. I was super excited. That's what's going on in Isaiah chapter 6. And as Isaiah writes and records what took place, he uses a literary mechanism that's used in Hebrew and it's repetition. Holy, holy, holy. Today, if we're writing an email to someone, a report to work, something that needs underlined, highlighted, we will do that. And we're processing. But in ancient Hebrew, you couldn't highlight, underline, exclamation mark, quotations, parenthesis, however you wanted to draw attention to it. And so they use repetition. Holy, holy, holy. And why does Jesus begin the Lord's prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, 
Holy is your name, because he's reminding us of the purity, the unblemished nature and character of God, perfect in every way. And so in order to get it across to us, the angels cry, holy, holy, holy. Nowhere in Scripture do you find love, love, love when describing the love of God. It is that. It has always been that. It always will be. He loves us eternally. But it's never described as love, 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 or justice, 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 or mercy, mercy, mercy. But he's described as holy, holy, holy. And when we enter into his presence in prayer, we are encountering God. It is a divine moment, a sacred moment, a moment that should be sacrosanct, different from anything else, because we are in his presence. And when we are there, things change. Our priorities change. He unclutters our soul. We bring to him the fears and concerns and hesitancies of our lives, the challenges we are facing. And suddenly he then changes the priority. And we discover that prayer is not the place to fix everyone and everything. Because those things become less a priority as he becomes so much more. In fact, Isaiah, in describing his experience, doesn't only say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. He says this, he says, the ground beneath my feet began to heave and tremble. The doorposts of the entrance into the temple, the building itself, began to shake as God in all of his power was right there. That's who we're dealing with. That's what's happening. Our loving Heavenly Father who lifts us up and holds us close is so powerful, so gracious, so loving. And we need to remember that He is holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. That's what's happening when we pray. Now let me pause for a second, give you an opportunity to take a breath. And I was reminded last week that when I was growing up, I was not a good boy. I wasn't even close to being on Santa's list. I was one of five. I had an older brother, an older sister, a younger brother, a younger sister. There was, and let me be careful with my language, Absolutely no one thought for a fraction of a second I would end up in the ministry. Never, never. It took them several years to get used to the concept. And occasionally, and I suspect you're the same, when I was misbehaving, my mother would get so frustrated she would say to me, Richard, if you don't behave, I'm going to knock you into the middle of next week. 
Anyone been on the receiving end of that? Let me see. Choir members, let's be higher, please, so they can see you. Yes, I think we've all been there. And I was thinking this past week, wouldn't it be great if mothers could provide another option? And it's an option for all of their children, whatever age, 5, 7, 57, 58, into our 60s and 80s, and they would say, this year has been so challenging, I will knock you into the middle of next year. I think I would be up for that. I absolutely would be up for that. This year has been so challenging, so difficult. But there are times when, although we look to the future, our prayer is, thy kingdom come. The days we're living in has been so challenging, so difficult, and they have these last eight or nine months when we've had significant health challenges. Worldwide pandemic. Spiraling economy, which mercifully is beginning to recover and come out the other side. Significant unemployment, difficulty with education for our children and our grandchildren. And whenever we pray, thy kingdom come, some of us pray it out of frustration that this year would end. The tension on social justice issues would come to an end. The seemingly ridiculous, senseless burning of small businesses and lootings that leads nowhere, the taking of innocent lives. Awful. We pray thy kingdom come. Perhaps you visited a cancer hospital for children. Your heart breaks. You long thy kingdom come. You interact with a family who have experienced a suicide in the last few days and they are desolate, debilitated. They have no idea what to do or how to respond and the family is breaking apart and you pray, thy kingdom come. You meet with someone who's been on the receiving end of domestic violence. You pray, thy kingdom come. We understand that prayer. It's the second part of the prayer that usually causes us difficulty. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Your will be done. What does that mean? That means we are submitting and surrendering to the rule and reign of Christ in our lives. Let me say that again. If you're watching from home, please jot it down in your notes. We are intentionally submitting and surrendering to the rule and reign of Christ in our lives. Thy will be done. We are in that sacred place before a loving Heavenly Father who is holy, holy, holy. And we want to serve him. We long that he would recalibrate or retune our deepest affection, our love. That's what we're praying. Thy will be done. And yet sometimes when we pray, we're tempted to pray as if we are filling out a job resume. 
We want that resume to be impactful on a potential employer as he reads it. We want it to be eye-catching. We want it to get their attention and say there's something special here. The person who's applying has expertise and experience. They would be perfect for the job. And sometimes we are tempted to see prayer just like that. Especially if you've prayed and there's no answer. We begin to ask, how can I pray so God will see my perspective? How can I pray so he sees it from my point of view? How do I get his attention when I pray? And we get his attention by submitting and surrendering to his rule and reign and not our own. Ever found yourself planning, preparing, Scheming to put things in place, then ask God to bless what you want to do anyway. Ever found yourself there? Rather than the role reversal of Father, you lead, you guide, you direct, and grant to me the understanding, the enlightenment to see what you're doing. Grant to me the spiritual sensitivity. Take me to that place of prayer that means you gather me up and put me on your lap. And we talk at a level that we haven't for a long time. That's what it means when we earnestly pray with heartfelt passion, Thy will be done. Because Scripture tells us His will is good and pleasing and perfect. And that's what happens when we submit and surrender to His will rather than my will be done. That's what's happening right here. So as we begin to draw it to a close this morning, what are we seeing? Four things. Number one, prayer defines and plays a central part in our relationship with God. Prayer defines and plays a central part in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Number two, make prayer central to our thinking and our emotions. Not tagging prayer on, but making it central to our thinking and our planning. Thy will be done. Make it central in our emotions. Father, if I can't see what you're doing in my life now, help me to be patient. Help me to see you at work. And more importantly, who am I becoming while I wait? Who am I becoming while I wait? Make it central to your thinking and your emotions. Thirdly, make it central to your future. Where is he taking me? Who is he calling me to be? What is he doing in my life? Thy will be done. Submit and surrender to his provision and protection. And fourthly, When you spend time in the unrestrained, undiluted, overwhelming presence of God, 
the best place to begin is with worship and adoration. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. And that's where prayer begins and ends. Because each one of us knows this as a certainty in our own lives that we need as much external help as we can possibly get. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for bringing us into your word this morning. Thank you for teaching us these primary principles of prayer. Enable us as we enter into a new week to walk closely with you. To be sensitive and listening to all that you have in store for us. Enable us, please, to sense your leading and guiding. Slow us down that we might pause in your presence. Grant to us the opportunity each day this week to rest in you, the living God. And grant to us, please, a longing desire for your holy presence. Father, bless us, please, in all we seek to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.